On today's show, we have our buff or bluff quiz where we'll attempt, sorry, I'll say that again. <clears throat> I bit my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of all the excuses. I just, I bit my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought I thought I thought Welcome to episode 83 of the Nerdfest podcast. This week's nerds are Dan Watkins, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, John Farthing, and I'm Hazel Burton. On today's show, we have our buff or bluff quiz where we'll attempt to catch each other out with both true and made up trivia. Plus, it is that time of year again where I put together an exceedingly overcomplicated scoring system for our Oscars sweepstake. So we'll be doing the sweepstake live on the show and chatting about the frontrunners in the best picture lineup. So let's get started. It is incredibly complicated. I still don't know if I won last year. <laughs> I'm still trying to do the math. I think the jury's still out on that one. Did Warren Beatty not tell you? No, it came up and he said something confusing and then disappeared back into the 90s. <laughs> Oh, the 70s? I don't know. Where's Robin Beatty from? 70s, I think, is Bonnie and Clyde. How's everyone doing? I'm enjoying Falcon and the Winter Soldier now. We're a couple of episodes from the end still, but I, I think that's turned around in my estimation. Finally got you. Yeah. With the last episode. Or should I say the last shot of the last episode? It's an iconic moment from the comics. And when I saw the character was being introduced, that's the image I wanted to see. And I was very happy that we got that. And I'm intrigued as mm. to where it's going. I don't want to tell you I told you so. But no. Yes, you do. Told you so. <laughs> it does feel like there's a lot to get in the, in the last two episodes. Uh, it, it seems far too short, given all the moving parts there are. We might get a season two. Mm. I hope we do now. I think six episodes would have been enough if it hadn't taken four of those six to get good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what's around the corner is Loki. And of course, Ooh. we saw the new Ooh, trailer excited. for that this week. Oh, it looks so good. It does. Not, not around your corner, Dan. It's oh. legacy um, behind you. <laughs> I mean, you, ne- you never know. He has got the Tesseract. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've been ramping up the advertising because it's been quite low-key until now. Oh. oh. <sighs> <sighs> Before we do the Buffalo Bluff, I'm going to ask Andy and Hazel the same question as to whether they enjoyed Andy's birthday gift. I have enjoyed it so far. Uh, John very kindly gifted me a month subscription to Arrow. So I watched at his recommendation, uh, The Happiness of the Katakuris, uh, without knowing what it was about or what was about to happen to me. And uh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't understand what's wrong with John, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> no one does. I understand what's wrong with John. That's why I haven't watched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of things I'm looking forward to there. There's a, a Swedish sci-fi film called Aniara, which um, I've been wanting to watch and couldn't find it. And it's there. And I'm going to watch some horrifying things as well. Um, audition, I think I might give a go and mm. very likely regret afterwards. And uh, some 80s schlocky B-movie horror things. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. There's some good stuff on there. And a selection of Hellraiser movies as well are on there. But not Hellraiser 5. I looked for it. Not the good one. It's surprisingly good for no. Hellraiser. Oh, God. I <laughs> predicted this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I've got a buff or bluff. Uh, it's... Can I introduce the topic first so people who haven't heard the episode before know what we're doing? No. <laughs> Just let me host without interrupting. <laughs> On our all-male panel. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> it... Let the woman talk. <laughs> I... Sorry, Hazel. I'm obviously joking there before you bite. It's time for our Buff or Bluff quiz. And each of the nerds have secretly put together three trivia facts from the world of entertainment. But only two of these facts are true. Play along with us as we try and work out the sordid lie from the actual truth. Dan, would you like to go first? Yes, for mine is so sordid. <laughs> it's partly inspired by my last recommendation of the Disneyversity podcast, and it's a little bit inspired by the Oscars. I've got three facts for you about one Donald Fauntleroy Duck. Right. That's his middle name. Donald Duck and he likes to fuck. <laughs> There's the episode title. I mean, yeah, based on his appearances in the 1940s, he definitely does. No pants. So, fact number one. Donald Duck won an Oscar for the 1943 short De Führer's Face, originally called Donald Duck in Nutsyland. It's about Donald having a nightmare that he's been drafted into the German army. Fact number two. In 1991... Donald Duck had a number 58 hit on the UK music charts with house dance song Party Zone featuring the Groove Gang. (laughs) And fact number three, Donald Duck has made more film and TV appearances than any other Disney character, including Mickey Mouse. Ooh. I mean, you would assume that Mickey Mouse would be the most prolific Disney character, but um, I was thinking the other day that I've actually seen him in very, very little. I have seen some Donald Duck stuff, so... That could well be true. He's used a lot in branding and so on and, and merchandise. Mm. Yeah. Maybe like the easily recognisable shape. Who's the first Disney character? But there's a lot of Donald Duck TV series and he probably pops up in Scrooge McDuck's Adventures probably and Huey Dewey... Yeah, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> his nephews. He pops up in his nephew's adventures and his uncle's adventures. and <laughs> He's a more interesting character than Mickey as well, isn't he? I think you can do more with him because he's angry in a way that Mickey Mouse is just bland. Sorcerer's Apprentice and Odd Shorts in Disney mm-hmm. time when I was growing up. That's about the only exposure I've had to Mickey Mouse. I think Mickey's only other big screen appearance is in one of the package films where they've done Mickey and the Beanstalk, but Donald is also in that with him. So I'm going to think now about which that is less likely to have made up. So, Dan, you're an expert in early 90s dance music, as we're all aware. (laughs) I really am, yes. (laughs) Ask me anything. Tell us a little bit more about, was it the Party Groovers? The song was Party Zone, and the featured artist was the Groove Gang. How did that go? (laughs) Surprisingly, I can't do a very good duck impression, but... Yeah, basically that with with a, a mm. beat behind it. Have you heard my Donald Duck washing his face impression? No. <laughs> no, but I'd like to. Okay. <laughs> that sounds obscene. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine that to dance music, which I'm sure is what Peter's going to do <laughs> in the edit. <laughs> that could be arranged. It sounds like the sort of thing that Disney's lawyers would jump upon. My Donald Duck impression. Yeah, I mean, well, no, your Donald Duck impression sounds like what this is last wank, but... I've been sued for less. And I can't imagine him doing a legitimate dance track. Oh, I can. He's more of a jazz duck, isn't he? Yeah. Dance is subjective. Based on the films I've been watching recently, along with Disneyversity, he's all about the samba. Mm. Mm. I, I, I know they did lots of Nazi films. 
We should specify anti Nazi yeah, and, film. And, <laughs> it's mostly anti Nazi. I always thought Minnie Mouse had mm. some sympathies. Um, it's two Disney lawsuits now. Two Disney. <laughs> I've seen footage of a Donald Duck Nazi thing, and so I'm quite certain that exists, but an Oscar? Really? Did he do a duck step rather than a goose step? Um, I think I'm going to go for the third one, just because I think think Mickey Mouse probably has been in more Disney stuff than Donald Duck. I'm going to go for the second one, because I don't believe Donald Duck was a dance act. I'm going to go for the first one. I'm going to go for number one as well that the Nazi duck thing did not win an Oscar. Well, I can reveal that John is correct. Ah. So Donald did win an Oscar in 1943 for the anti-Nazi film, uh, one of, I think, six similar shorts that he made around that time as part of the American war effort. He has made more on-screen appearances than any other Disney character. Wow. He was one of Walt's favourites, and for a while he was a lot more popular than Mickey so appeared in a lot more shorts, particularly. Mm. Uh, But he never had a number 58 hit with the Groove Gang. That was, in fact, Daffy Duck from (laughs) the other company. And you can find that song on YouTube if you wish. Can and will. Excellent. (laughs) Good bluffing. Who's next? I have three facts about Hellraiser 5. (laughs) As we all know, pop stars, film stars, celebrities in general are fond of frittering away their cash on ridiculous things. I have three extravagant celebrity purchases for you. Mm. Okay. Number one, Oprah Winfrey has an Oprah Winfrey-shaped bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) How how is that possible? Is it an Oprah Winfrey-sized bathtub? Well, she says two people can fit in it, but she also says that it was made via a mould for her body, so she went into some plaster of Paris or something, and they made an Oprah Winfrey specially shaped bathtub for her. What, so there's two people, like, doing a 69 on top of each other? <laughs> <laughs> what, I mean, she's happily married, I don't know. But I think maybe you put your knees up. Right. <laughs> kind of interlocked together, you can fit inside an Oprah. Okay. And number two, when Wesley Snipes went to jail for tax evasion, mm-hmm. they went into his mansion and repossessed a lot of properties. Amongst the things they repossessed was a life-size gold-plated statue of Wesley Snipes as Blade with diamond-encrusted sunglasses and a thing at the bottom saying, I'm Blade, motherfucker. <laughs> yep, believe that. <laughs> that sounds Johnish. It does sound Johnish, doesn't it? Number three, on her 2010 tour, Lady Gaga believed she was being followed from venue to venue by an annoying spirit called Ryan. She hired some Ghostbusters and spent $50,000 on an electromagnetic reader to check whether there were ghostly vibrations in any venue before she performed. Oh, dear. How can John even think we would believe that? Does that mean it's true? Because I think it's true, because I think I've heard it. I think, I don't know why, but this tiny bell at the back of my head is going, I've heard that before. This game makes you doubt reality. Yeah. Yeah, I have actually, through work, met paranormal investigators. They they don't call them PKE meters like Dr. Egon Spengler, but they do use weird instruments to measure ghostly activity. So it's plausible. With the Snipes statue, I would like to know what happened to it after it was repossessed. Where is it now and why is it not in a museum and why can't we go and see it? All I know is it was confiscated by the um, the tax people. Stripped and sold for parts. 
So if it was only gold-plated, is it worth more melted down or as a statue to Wesley's hubris? <laughs> is Ghostbusters fresh in John's mind because of the fantastic teaser trailer oh, that, we- God. <laughs> that we saw for <laughs> Afterlife? Oprah Winfrey, um, very, very, very rich lady. Yeah, She has all the money in the world. But it just seems impractical because what if her size or shape changes at any point she won't be able to fit in the bath or there'll be too much room in the bath depending on whether she loses or gains weight I, i'm just it just doesn't seem practical but if she goes in the bath that's the same size and shape as her where does the water go oh science science but andy she's just laying in a resin tomb basically isn't she but it's also like if she's trying to maintain her weight you know having a bath made of her shape would encourage her to stay the same shape rather than change like a motivational yeah, tool. <laughs> she'd need a pulley system to get her out. If I had a bath mould made of me, I would make sure it was moulded in a hand Solo and Carbonite kind of shape, just for fun. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I don't know. I mean, it may not have been entirely here. Like, they might have just done a arse and had a curve in the bath. <laughs> the arse would fit in it. <laughs> right. Yeah, backpedalling now, John. The one that sounds the most John to me is the Wesley Snipes thing. It was just the uh, I'm Blade motherfucker. I think it was the added touch that got me. It's not entirely out of character, though, either, is it? That's true. That's very true. It sounds both John and Wesley Snipes, so I'm I'm (laughs) believing that one all the way to the bank. (laughs) I have always thought that Lady Gaga, despite her artistic wackiness, was relatively down to earth in real life. And the Ghostbuster thing seems a little bit off, but then I don't know that much about it. And the Oprah Winfrey bath thing makes no sense at all. So I'm going for number one. (laughs) If you were being chased by someone called Ryan, you'd want to Ghostbust him too. Depends if it's Gosling or Reynolds, doesn't it, really? Mm. <laughs> or Seacrest. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Styles Or Giggs. Yeah. <laughs> Adams. R- Ryan Atwood from the OC. <laughs> oh, God. All right, can we stop naming Ryans now, please? <laughs> Basically, if it's a Ryan, it's either somebody you wouldn't mind being chased by or a sex offender. There's no in-between. <laughs> there's, no, there's no average Ryans. <laughs> so that's two Disney lawsuits and a lawsuit from the collective of Ryans. Ryans. <laughs> <laughs> They're all ridiculous, but I'm going Oprah because, you know, the other two seem extravagant, but feasible. Oprah's a practical lady. I don't think she'd do that. How would the plug hole work? <laughs> <laughs> Where would it be? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going Blade, motherfucker. I think the Oprah thing could be true. It's just John's not described it very well. <laughs> and I think Ghostbusters is on his mind. So I'm going to plump for Ghostbusters. Oprah Winfrey does have an Oprah Winfrey-shaped bathtub. No, she doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And uh, Lady Gaga did hire Ghostbusters and spent $50,000 to get rid of Ryan, the annoying ghost. Oh, dear. So it's the truth about the Wesley Snipes statue that it just didn't have sunglasses on. It was just him with his eyes closed. it was solid gold. <laughs> no, I, I made that up, but it has been known to use the phrase I'm Blade Motherfucker on more than one occasion. Mm. Wow. Excellent. He's not wrong. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have three facts about the Oscars, things we're going to be talking about those later. Mm. Which of these is bullshit? Number one. Anna Paquin won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar in 1994 at the incredibly young age of 11 for the piano, but she isn't the youngest person to win that award. Number two. 
Charlie Chaplin's movie Limelight was released in 1952, but didn't win an Oscar for 20 years. Number three. John Williams holds the record for most Academy Award nominations with 52. But the current unluckiest nominee ever is Derek Woods, who was nominated 17 times for art or production design on movies, most recently Whiplash and La La Land, without a win. Which one is crap? All believable. Hmm. Um, yeah. I... I know Anna Paquin's name comes up a lot with youngest Oscar winners, but I'm wondering whether there could have been a Shirley Temple or someone in the 30s in the studio era mm. who might have won one younger. Didn't someone's dog win an Oscar and the dog would probably have been younger than 11? The dog didn't win the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I think a dog won Best Screenplay Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, genuinely, I think there was a guy who was so unhappy with the film, he put his dog's name on the credits. And then it won an Oscar. Oh, yes, I have heard this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I believe John is not lying there. The third one, there are people, particularly in more behind-the-scenes categories, who get nominated over and over again and don't win. Mm. I know Roger Deakins, the cinematographer, was was waiting for ages and was constantly nominated until he finally won, I think, for Blade Runner 2049. And it became a sort of... Sorry, Oscar at the end of that. Even though he very much deserved it, but he should have won much earlier. Yeah, so I can believe that. Yeah, I think I I think I do believe that one. Why would Limelight have a 20-year delay to win something? Because Chaplin himself didn't win an Oscar until his lifetime achievement in the 70s. I think Peter's trying to get us because we remember that Chaplin won an Oscar in the 70s. But it was a lifetime achievement Oscar rather than a, an Oscar for Limelight. Now... Around this time, Chaplin was persona non grata for a while and lived in Switzerland. And there's a chance maybe that Limelight got released in France or in Europe in the 50s, but for whatever reason, it didn't get a cinema release. According to my research, Limelight was released in the US in 1952. Okay, so that knocks my theory out of the water (laughs) that it might not have got an American release until 20 years later. So that's that. Unless he's lying to you. Yes. Yes. Unless <laughs> mm. he's in contention for an Oscar for acting lying. Acting's just lying with awards, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Shirley Temple might have won it. Was it specifically a Best Supporting Actress Oscar? It was. And one piece of information I can give you is that Shirley Temple did win an Oscar at the age of six, but that was a thing called the Academy Juvenile Award. Ah. That sounds like something you get for not committing a crime per month. <laughs> So we we might be thinking more recently then if they had kid Oscars. Haley Joel Osmond, did he win anything for? Um... Yeah, I don't think he won Best Supporting Actress. Oh, <laughs> good point. Just despite his talents. Yeah, I think that one might what be true. What about Haley Steinfeld? She got she, a lot of True Grit. She was nominated for True Grit, but I think yes. she was fourteen yeah. by the time the film came out. Okay. Um, there was uh, Kevin Zani Wallace was in Beasts of the Southern Wild, and I think she was only about eight or nine. But I don't think she won either. Mm. Marley Matlin for Children of a Lesser God. Was she she older? Joey Lucas. <laughs> West Wing reference. <laughs> she was in other things. <laughs> Apparently, um, deaf people watching the West Wing get really annoyed because the guy that signs for them, Kenny, yeah, is is ahead of her quite often. Because he's, he's signing to the script. He's signing stuff before she's actually said it or signed it herself. No, I think I heard an interview with him on the West Wing Weekly, uh, only five years behind as I am with that podcast. And uh, I think he did admit fault 
in that he yeah. uh, got it wrong occasionally. Because mm-hmm. I think he only picked up sign language a little while before he got that job. He wasn't a lifetime signer, but I think he'd learned it at drama school or at uni. And they were looking for somebody who could do it well to go alongside Marley Matlin. And he fitted the bill because he was an actor and he could do it. But he never won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar either. So <laughs> no. it doesn't help us. It doesn't help. But did, did Marley Matlin? We don't know. <laughs> I think I'm just going to just believe you on that one. I don't know why. Mm. I'm saying Chaplin. Chaplin's the bluff. Yeah, me too. Same here. John? <sighs> <laughs> so expressive. I want to go for Chaplin because I don't see how a film coming an Oscar 20 years later. Oh, unless there's something about the screenplay and a blacklisted writer or something like that. So there's potential reasons. And I don't, I can't think of anyone younger than, what's her face, um, Anna Paquin. I'm going to go with Anna Paquin being the bluff. Because you can't okay. think of anyone younger, so that... F- <laughs> well, I, I can think of people younger. I mean, I know a lot of babies, but I can't think of anyone younger that that's what a Best Supported Actress Oscar. Right, gotcha. The first fact about Anna Paquin not being the youngest person to win that award is true. Ooh. It was Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon in 1973. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was 10. Never seen it. So therefore it doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't deserve an Oscar. Limelight didn't win an Oscar for 20 years because it didn't qualify. For it to qualify, it has to be a certain length, be on a certain format of film, and also has to be shown in LA for at least seven days. Chaplin was regarded as a communist sympathiser at the time, a whole load of cinemas just didn't show the movie, and it was a huge financial disaster. It had an American release, but it wasn't shown in LA. Therefore, it didn't qualify. It was only when it was re-released in 1972 that it won an Oscar for Best Original Score. Ah. So the bluff is the third one. The bluff is the third one, yeah. But we're like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I just made up someone for the unluckiest. The closest to it, with an even higher score, there was a sound engineer called Kevin O'Connell who held the record for most unluckiest with 20 nominations without a win. But he finally won in 2016 for Hacksaw Ridge. Mm. I like Oscar stats and facts and things. <laughs> it's fun, even if I got it wrong. Very good. Who's next? I have two facts and a lie about Peter Sellers. My dad. <laughs> I can show you photographs of my dad, like his wedding photos. He looks the absolute spit of Peter Sellers. Is that why he named you Peter? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, number one, Peter Sellers invented superglue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bluff. <laughs> uh, number two, Peter Sellers was a distant relation of Heath Ledger. Hmm. And number three, Peter Sellers was the first man to appear on the cover of Playboy magazine. <laughs> John, you know your Playboy. Um, was he the centerfold as well? <laughs> I cannot confirm. There was a very cleverly placed staple to stop the issue being banned. <laughs> He's the kind of guy that would be on Playboy, isn't he? With the buddy ears. I would have thought Hugh Hefner might have had himself on the cover at some point, aggrandising himself. So, uh, when you say invented superglue, do you just mean he got stuck somewhere? <laughs> uh, I do not. I mean that he was instrumental in the discovery of superglue. And what is the chemical formula for superglue? It's uh, a chemical called cyanoacrylate. Yeah, that's what I was wondering if you'd know. See, you get all sorts of an education when you listen to the Nerdfest podcast. Sellers was an enthusiastic science student uh, and in the Second World War. He was in the Air Force and uh, he was part of a research team. He was trying to create a, a crystal clear plastic that could be used for gun sights and um, 
the chemicals never came together and actually proved very adhesive. And years later, this discovery was repurposed as superglue. Ah, see, there's a story behind it now. Oh. I just thought you'd picked a random object out of thin air and said he invented it. That's good improv, Andy. Good improv. <laughs> and he had researched it enough to come up with the right chemical name as well. Yeah, so because you have done your research, we're going to need the genealogy that links Sellers to Ledger, please. Oh, sure. Well, they um, <laughs> Peter Sellers and Heath Ledgers were sixth cousins three times removed. <laughs> Peter Sellers' maternal five times great-grandparents, that's great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, were also Heath Ledger's maternal great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. I hope that's all the information you require. I'm going to give some little behind-the-scenes secrets here, but um, Andy was a last-minute step-in for the podcast today, so he was only said he was doing it about an hour or so ago. Now, is he more likely to have made this shit up in an hour or Wikipedia in, a, in an hour? I can't decide. <laughs> and the, the third one was, was yeah, the Playboy. There have been 10 men in history to appear on the cover of Playboy, uh, most recently Bruno Mars, and one of the others was Donald Trump. Ugh. So, Ugh. yeah, Playboy turns out to be a little bit seedy. <laughs> really? Who knew? I don't know. I've never heard the Heath Ledger thing before. Um, but it's so obscure and yeah. uninteresting, frankly, that I'm not <laughs> surprised. I think we're probably all six cousins five times removed, aren't we? Exactly. <laughs> the wedding's off, Andy. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Every episode this wedding gets cancelled. Every episode. <laughs> so... Andy, how closely related to Hazel would you have to be surprised to be? <laughs> yeah, because this is an area we want to focus on. <laughs> <laughs> to, ca- to cancel the wedding. <laughs> John, let's just save that for the vows, okay? Yeah, it's going to come out in his speech. There's a big reveal on the day. Yeah. Ledger's the bluff. Yeah, I'm going with Heath Ledger as well. I'm going with Playboy. Invented superglue. Peter's correct. Of course, of course, Peter Sellers did not invent superglue. <laughs> I mean, when you say it like that. <laughs> but you did say it like that. But you sold it to us. I did some research into the actual discovery of superglue and then just I put Peter Sellers in it. <laughs> it's been stuck there forever. <laughs> he was in the RAF. Uh, he was born in 1925, so uh, he was... Oh, maths. Uh, he was 14 when the war started, but in 1943, he joined the RAF. Uh, wanted to be a pilot, but due to poor vision, wasn't allowed. And I'm probably doing him a disservice here, but from what I read, he, he mostly mucked about and did impressions of officers. And then at the end of the war, went off to be a very famous actor. He couldn't fly a plane because his hands were stuck together. <laughs> so... <laughs> And he was on um, the first man to appear on the cover of Playboy magazine. Uh, apparently appeared in a number of photos. Apparently, I haven't seen it. Appeared in a number of photos uh, with models in which they parodied famous movie lovers. So Anthony and Cleopatra, uh, James Bond and a James Bond girl and that kind mm. of thing. But he did play James Bond, didn't he? Sort of indirectly in Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I did not know that. I thought it was Daniel Craig. <laughs> first one. <laughs> I've actually got a book of Playboy interviews, and it's actually, they did have some good journalism amongst the Boobs. Yes. <laughs> I have three facts about the American office. I've been revisiting Michael Scott and co quite a lot during lockdown, and yep. um, also following along with the Office Ladies podcast, which is hosted by Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, who play Pam and Angela. On the podcast, Jenna Fisher opens the show with some fast facts about behind the scenes. So I have three of those facts for you, but one of them I have made up. 
Number one, creator Greg Daniels believed that it would be a great idea for writers of the show to have the experience of acting because it would give them a bigger appreciation of what an actor does. So Mindy Kaling and BJ Novak, uh, two of the show's main writers, did have some acting experience and they, of course, played Kelly and Ryan. But this was Paul Lieberstein's, who plays Toby, that was his first ever on-screen role. Hmm. Number two. In season two, in the episode The Injury, Michael burns his foot on his foreman grill. This actually happened to Steve Carell. It was for a drunken bet when he was in his 30s and he mentioned it in the writer's room where the cast were often invited and they could not write an episode based on that. And finally, number three, when NBC initially approached John Krasinski about the sitcom, he says that they asked him to read for the part of Dwight, not Jim. Hmm. Hmm. I know one of these to be true but they all sound plausible again. I did rewatch lots of The Office during one of the lockdowns, but I'm afraid I haven't listened to the podcast, so... It's very good. doesn't put me at an advantage for knowing the facts. So which one do you think is true? I think the first one is true because Paul Lieberstein? Lieberstein? Uh, sure. <laughs> Toby's actor name uh, does turn up in the written by quite a lot. So the fact was that this was Toby's first ever on-screen role. Yeah, I think I've read interviews and lists of facts and things about The Office while we've been re-watching it mm-hmm. that confirmed that to me. So I'm going to say that one is true. Yeah, I think I've heard that as well. John Krasinski, and we know that he might have been Captain America. Mm. And I wonder, because there is an episode where he dresses up as Dwight, yeah. whether that's a little meta reference to the fact that he could have been Dwight. Although I can't imagine it. You can imagine John Krasinski playing up his kind of buffoonishness. He's got range. Mm. Yeah, because in that first series, which is much more closely tied to the UK office, which I've never seen and refused to because Ricky <laughs> Gervais is awful. Um, <laughs> yes. Mackenzie Crook was the equivalent of Dwight, is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that's right, yeah. And Krasinski seems much more a Martin Freeman type than a Mackenzie Crook type. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Fact number two, I was all ready to disbelieve that and think it's a bluff because I have too much respect for Steve Carell to think that he would genuinely cook his own foot. But as part of it, you said that he, he did it in, in his 30s. And I reckon if you'd been making that up, it would have been more plausible to say when he was a student or in his early 20s or something. So I think that detail makes it slightly less believable and therefore more likely to have not been made up. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think he's got range and that's what he burnt his foot on. Hey. <laughs> he worked on The Daily Show before he was in The Office and The 40-Year-Old Virgin and things like that. So he's in that New York writer's room kind of environment and... Mm-hmm. You could, after a few drinks, imagine something going wrong with a foreman grill or something like that. Yeah. So I can believe that one as well. I believe them all. No, um, this is not helping. Krasinski. It's Krasinski. It was a very open writer's room. Um, and because it was based on, you know, real life, essentially, um, they would they would often invite the cast in and just kind of let them talk uh, and pick up on stuff that they were saying. There was a few episodes based off of that. I just want to watch The Office. Again, <laughs> it's very good. I never got into it. 
I don't think I've ever seen American Office. Oh my god, you're missing out on so much. The first season isn't great, is mm. it? Because it's directly inspired by things that Ricky Gervais is involved in. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and they kind of made Michael a bit... Like Ricky Gervais, i.e. not funny. Things for, for an American audience, they need to believe that someone... Uh, is Has actually... any likeable qualities. Yes, they Unlike... need to believe that someone is quite... What did Ricky do to you, Daniel? I need to ask this. <laughs> I don't get it. I just don't no. understand how anyone finds him in any mm. way funny or tolerable. <laughs> I tried watching extras. I tried watching some of his films. I try and suffer through his parts of the Night at the Museum films. I just don't get it. With his face and his personality. And, and, yeah. The, <laughs> the thing about the difference between The Office is, is the US office has characters that you root for. You like the relationships. They seem like... Although they snipe at each other, they get on, and you wouldn't hate working there. Whereas the UK office, just to me, I can't find it funny because it looks like the kind of job I would hate more than anything. And I don't want to be reminded of that for entertainment. And the idea that I would watch it and relate to it and find it funny because it is like my life, I would just think this is what I want my life to not be. But the American one is at a remove from that. So I get on with it and it gets better and better because it's got more and more episodes. And, you know, it it dives off a bit in the last couple of seasons. Mm. But for the most part, it's wonderful, funny, escapist enjoyment. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. Except for the cameos by Gervais, which are <laughs> awful because it brings it down to his level. <clears throat> yep. I think I've only seen the first series. So I think I dismissed it. Yeah. As a knockoff of the British office. It really gets so much better in season two. Yeah, it's one of these parks and recs you can start after series one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it not worry you, though, Daniel, when you're enjoying this show, that as an ex- executive producer, every episode that was made, because you've got to pocket a big <laughs> wadge of cash? Well, <laughs> Stephen Merchant gets it as well, and I, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's good. We, we, I like Stephen Merchant. He's... I've seen Stephen Merchant in real life. We were, went to the same show in London. He's surprisingly tall. I know people make a joke about how tall he is. Well, I, I, I assumed his tallness was exaggerating for comedic effect, but the fuck is a skyscraper? <laughs> <laughs> right, it's decision time. Yeah, Sorry, sidetrack. Number three, Number John three. Krasinski yep. uh, was not intended to be Dwight because he's far too good looking for that role. I'm going to go with Burnt Foot. I'm going with Burnt Foot. And the Burnt Foot feet people take it. Yay! <laughs> ah. Oh, doing well this yes. week. Uh, I have no idea if Steve Carell drunkenly bet himself to uh, stand on a George Foreman grill and live to tell the tale. But uh, the other two are very much true. So it was Paul Liebes, Liebert, him, uh, his Toby. first ever role. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, NBC approached John Krasinski to play Dwight initially. Weird. Wow. Mm. Uh, Ricky Gervais also ruined the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the fourth annual Nerdfest Podcast Oscars Sweepstake. Here's your host for the evening, it's Hazel Burton. <laughs> Did we do this shit for four years? <laughs> I think so, is that right? Yeah, yeah. This yeah. will be the fourth one. Wow. i tell you what we'll do to keep to time. Uh, if any of us speaks for longer than 45 seconds, Peter will play us off. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That is your microphone just disappearing out of the bottom of the screen there, away from you.
I hope not. No, that's what they're doing. Oh, the sorry, yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they motor pulls the microphone. <laughs> Dan actually them. believed that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to thank John Farthing as well. Oh, damn it. <laughs> okay, so the 2021 Oscars are going to be held on the 26th of April, and every year Nerdfest has a sweepstake for the best picture category. We're all given the name of a film which is up for contention for best picture, and throughout the night, if that film picks up other awards, say in editing or script writing, etc., we win points. And what do points mean? Prizes! Yes. So it's a tremendously well thought out scoring system. I'll not have anyone disparage that. Um, <laughs> Again. But in essence, just because your film wins best picture, if it doesn't do well in the other awards, that doesn't necessarily mean you win the sweepstake. It's all to play for. So what we're going to do now is we're going to do the sweepstake live. We'll see which nerds get which film. We'll get our reactions. We'll discuss our film's chances on the night. And yeah, good luck, everybody. So just to clarify, the nominees are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. So I have with me two hats. In one hat, I have our names. And in the other hat, I have the Best Picture nominees. Is everybody ready for the Nerdfest 2021 Oscar sweepstake to begin? Damn right. Yeah. Feels really tense. It's sort of like those screens they show of the five nominees uh, waiting at the auditorium (laughs) in this recording right now. The weirdest thing is Hazel's only made one of these hats especially. She has a hat containing all our names that she carries around with her most of the year. That's for the voodoo mainly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The first name is... It is John. Ooh. <gasps> so, John, your film is... And let me just dive deep into my hat. Your film is... Judas and the Black Messiah, which has Ooh. six oh. nominations overall. Congratulations, John. You're getting a win for Daniel Kaluuya. Do you think so? Oh, best supporting actor, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could be. Well, that's the thing. It's It's got six or, nominations, got but two, two of those are in the same category, so it can yeah. only win five maximum. I've been gypped, haven't I? But it's probably, <laughs> probably my favourite out of the best picture films that I've seen. Mm. So I'm I'm happy with that because I, I hope it wins. Mm-hmm. I think Daniel Kaluuya is possibly its only chance, and I think Sasha Baron Cohen might get that. Right. I think I may walk away empty-handed, but I am happy with the choice of film because I think it's a great, great film. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Are we ready for another name? We are. Let's do it. The name is me. (gasps) (laughs) I swear I'm not looking. I have Promising Young Woman with Uh, five nominations. uh, How appropriate. You could be in with a shout (laughs) for Best Actress for Carrie Mulligan. Mm -hmm. And if Emerald Fennell doesn't win Best Director, I think she's probably a shoe in for one of the screenplay awards. Yeah. I watched this last night. It's a very harrowing film. Mm. It doesn't have a very good opinion of men by any means. No. Neither do I. (laughs) (laughs) Rightfully so. We watched this together, my wife and I, and we're approaching the film from very different life experiences. When certain things happen and I was shocked by certain people's behaviour, she was like, yep, I know people that's happened to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy with this. I haven't seen it yet, mm. just at the time of recording, but I'm really looking forward to watching it, and I'm very happy with my choice. I don't think it's going to win a lot, but... I think best screenplay, because I think it's a very good screenplay. Which will mm. win me four points. There's a lot wrong with the film, mm. but it's yeah. a really... It's a, it's a good and interesting, if flawed film, and Callie Mulligan's great in it. 
exploitation movies quite often have the copyright notice down underneath the title and they did that mm-hmm. and that led me to expect especially at the start a very different reaction to some of the things that happen if yeah. that makes mm-hmm. sense without spoilers i won't say anything but we had a lot of issues with the ending right i think, uh, that's, yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. have yeah. yeah i don't know what that means but I'll see. <laughs> it's a big get for Sky Cinema as well, going straight to Sky Cinema. Yeah. They, they mm. must have put their hands deep in yeah. their pocket for that. Right. Another name, another name, another name. The name is Andy. Yay. I know him. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy has got Minari with Ooh. six nominations. I think it is possibly my favourite of the ones I've seen. Mm. Just a really lovely moving family drama. I don't know whether it'll win anything, but I'm really glad it's been nominated. Yeah. We watched that a couple of nights ago. I really enjoyed it. Amy would probably like me to say that the young actor who plays David is the <gasps> best. Oh, gosh, yes. It's, it's a lovely film. It's a very contained film, but the characters are, I'm going to say it, they go on a journey. It's a really, really great film. It's good to see um, Stephen Wen doing well as well, because I think he's a great actor, even from his Walking Dead days. Yes. And yes. he appears in a lot of really good stuff, so I'm pleased to see him doing well. He's also the lead voice role in Invincible, the superhero cartoon on Amazon, mm-hmm. written by the guy from The Walking Dead. Which, if you tune into the next episode, will be my recommendation. Ah. Spoilers there. So you've stolen that from me then, John, because <laughs> I might have done that one. Ah. It is very good. Yeah. Nobody take Wellington Paranormal. <laughs> time for another name okay and this time it is Keris <gasps> ah. regular guest nerd and Keris has got da, 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 da. Oh, she's got Mank <laughs> oh. old white guys <laughs> yes, for the win which leads the nominations it's got 10 so she's, she's got the best chance numeratively mm, yeah. I, it took me two days to watch this film <laughs> I found it really tough going but your broadband stuttering oh <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, just, am, I, am I watching Justice League by mistake? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like sometimes you watch a film and you'll just take the slightest excuse to go and do something else. And yeah, I, <laughs> it was a bit like that. I confess I watched Mank in the background, I think, while wrapping Christmas presents the weekend yeah. it appeared on Netflix. It looks beautiful. Could well win for the way it looks. It's really stylish and really well made. You can tell a lot of work has gone into it. But whether it should win any of the big ones, I mean, it was fine. But I can't say it's left an impression on me. Hmm. My worry is that we've had this big thing. We've had an, the most amazing, diverse nominations. We've, you know, women and people of colour had a real, even amongst all the Best Picture nominees, you know, there's such diversity there. And if the old white guy film wins everything. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm. Films about films. Yeah, films about mm. Hollywood yeah. typically do very, very well. Mm. I hope not, but. Is Amanda Seyfried nominated? She, she is. is. Yes. Yeah, she's really good in it. I didn't even realise that was her. She's the absolute bright spot in it. It's just not that interesting a story. No. So it's unlikely, I think, that, that it'll win any of the big nominations, which in our sweepstake is, are worth more points. Um, but with 10 nominations, Harris has got a good chance of winning. Good luck. So our next name is Dan. That's me. Yes. <laughs> and Dan, your choice is Trial of the Chicago 7. Six nominations. I could be in with a screenplay nod. Yeah. I don't know whether this old Netflix thing with the Oscars might count Mm. against it, but this year more than any other, am I in with a chance? Mm. They do like Aaron Sorkin. I only wonder if the fact that it came out quite a while ago might count against it slightly. 
that people have quite short attention spans sometimes. I think you've got a chance in Best Supporting Actor, I think I mentioned with Sasha Baron Cohen as well. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. I honestly don't understand why why he's been nominated. It wasn't a bad performance in any way. Mm-hmm. It was pretty good, but it didn't stand out as especially deep or meaningful or impactful. It was it was it was fine. I don't see why. Oh well, I like I like the film. I'm happy with this choice. The best supported actor category is absolutely stuffed. And there's people in there like Lucky Stansfield who were the leads in the film. Mm. And is it because, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but there's no way any one of them, Chadwick Boseman, is getting best actor. Yeah. Yeah. Nor should they. No, should they. But I wonder whether a lot of studios have quite cynically funneled their actors into best supported actor. I don't think so in the case of Stanfield. No, he was was up for both. Mm. He could have been nominated in either. It just so happened that supporting got him more votes. Okay. Maybe I'm being a bit cynical then, but. Right, let's do another name. And I'm sorry um, to Nicolas Cage and Chris Hemsworth for not including you in this year's <laughs> sweepstake, but it wouldn't be the first time you were snubbed by the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ghostwriter Spirit of Vengeance. <laughs> Spirit of Vengeance is much better than the first one. Yeah, that's not a high bar. We're not, we're not going there. <laughs> Peter is our next nerd. Oscar me up. <laughs> Peter's choice is Nomadland. Ooh. Well done, Peter. You've won six nominations. Okay, haven't haven't seen it yet. Is it any good? Uh, neither have I. One of the two I haven't seen. It's on Disney Plus at the end of the month, but I reckon it's a front runner for director and best picture, if not best actress as well. Ooh. Okay, we're only getting that in the UK on the thirtieth of April. Last night I watched uh, Chloe Zhao's debut film, which is called uh, Songs My Brothers Taught Me. It's on Mubi. And uh, after watching it, I rewatched the trailer for Nomadland, and I think it may be similar in in, in execution. Uh, It felt almost kind of like a documentary. It was um, handheld cameras, uh, all filmed on location on an Indian reservation, this film, with lots of non-professional actors. Very, very naturalistic dialogue. It was very, very realistic. Light on plot. It did have one, and it, this is a stylistic choice. It was more of a snapshot of, um, of, of what life is like in, in this place. And I feel like that might be the kind of thing that Nomadland is going to be. Mm-hmm. Not really my type of film, but I did really enjoy. Uh, did that film, Andy, give you a sense of why Marvel picked her for Eternals? No, it really didn't. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, not, not to say that it was bad or anything. It's it's just the exact opposite of what you expect from Marvel. You you wouldn't think you'd watch that and, yeah, you're perfect for the smashy-bashy CGI thing. So uh, I, I don't know the connection there, but um, I'm interested to see Nomadland. It's, it's getting a lot of really good buzz. Um, mm. I think it might be the surprise of the night. You never know. Yeah, I think Francis about Dorman may suffer from being up against Glenn Close and there's a kind of a... It's her turn kind of feeling about Glenn Close, isn't mm. there? There is. But I hear the film's not great. Glenn Close absolutely is deserved of an Oscar, but absolutely not for this film, I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I saw a review of Nomadland that I think compared it to uh, if a Springsteen song were a film, <laughs> Nomadland would be the film. Ooh. So that makes me excited to see it. Excellent. Okay, we're down to our final two nerds. Both of them have the same name, so we'll see... Who's first? Ian McLaughlin. Hey. He's still around. Hopefully he'll be come back on the podcast soon. And his film is Sound of Metal with Ooh. six nominations. Metal. Now on Prime Video in the UK. And very good. Riz Ahmed is amazing 
in the film. The sound design is amazing in the film. It's well worth a watch. I don't know whether it's going to win much. I'm really excited for this. Uh, mm. With the pandemic and things getting delayed and put back, um, I convinced myself it was going to come out in the UK back in November, I think it was, and was so excited and then realised that that was a US release date. I've been anticipating it eagerly since then, so I'm, I'm very excited to see this. I've heard some wonderful interviews that Riz Ahmed has done recently with the likes of Mark Commode, and it's so clear how much he cares about his craft. You know, he really got involved with the deaf community. It's the anti Jared Leto in that he cares about his films and does the research, but isn't an insufferable prick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and were it not for Chadwick, he would be my pick for best actor. Hmm. Because he is so good in Sound of Metal. He learned how to play drums for this film. He also learned American Sign Language for this film. That's amazing. And in his interviews, he's uh, spoken quite passionately about what he's learned about the deaf community in that deafness is not a disability. It's just another way of viewing the world and and it is a huge community. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that aspect of the film very much. Okay, so our last nerd is Ian Mayer. And his film... What could it be? ...is The Father. Mm. Six nominations. And not out here till June. So I'd better not say I've seen it then, had I? (laughs) You have seen the stage play by the same director. I very much enjoyed the stage play. I didn't think it was as world-shattering as a lot of the reviewers did. It was quite experimental for a West End mainstream play, but as somebody who's seen a lot of fringe theatre, it wasn't as groundbreaking as people thought it was now i've seen the first half of the film and it's a very close adaptation so far anthony hopkins is amazing in it but as a film itself it's very very stagey and it's got the mistake i think of having the stage director to do the film version which mm. doesn't always work very well nobody talks over each other they, they, they speak like they're speaking in a theater the play had a unique visual gimmick Basically, it's about an old guy who is suffering from the early stage of dementia and whose world is kind of becoming more confusing and falling apart around him. And every so often, the stage would drop into blackness. You'd get a flash of light and it would come back on and the furniture would be rearranged or pieces of furniture would be missing and the stage would be getting bearer. They do something different in the film, but they kind of get that across in the film in a similar way. It's very well done and it's very well cast and Anthony Hopkins is great, but... It feels like someone's pointing a camera at the stage a little bit. It feels very stagey. Again, if it wasn't for Chadwick, Anthony Hopkins, I think, would have been up there. Mm-hmm. It's a great performance, but not surrounded by a great film. So, yes, that was our 2021 Oscars sweepstake. Andy and I have booked the day off work on Monday the 26th, so we'll be staying up all night, keeping all of the nerds greatly informed of their <laughs> of their score throughout the night. Um, if anyone is turning notifications off, if now. anyone is interested in my um, incredibly non-complex scoring system, uh, so that they can follow along to it themselves, send us a message on Nerdfest, and I will um, explain it in great detail. I got minus X points last year, which I don't quite understand. <laughs> Excited, the whole world will be watching. Yes. Come on, Sorkin. Indeed. Except, no, because that's not he doesn't write for Prompting Young Woman. So, should we do a quick round robin of who expects what to win Best Picture? Yeah. Yeah. Hazel, what would you guess? I am going to guess Nomadland. Andy? I've only seen three of the eight so far. Trial of the Chicago 7, Minari, and uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Of those three, Judas and the Black Messiah, from what I've heard, probably Nomadland. Dan? 
the buzz seems to be all about Nomadland, but if something more traditionally Hollywoody does, I think Chicago 7 could edge it over Mank. Mm. So that's my backup. And John? Of the ones that I've seen, should win Judas. I think it will be a toss-up between Nomadland and possibly I think Minavi might be the one that sneaks mm. in there and surprises a few people. And I'm going to pick Promising Young Woman because it's hard to watch it without being affected by it. Mm-hmm. The animated category looks really good. You've got Onward, you've got Soul, Wolfwalkers, yes. which I really hope yeah. wins because Cartoon Saloon are amazing. Mm. Farmageddon yeah. is nominated yeah. for an Oscar. And, and uh, Hell, There's a Five has not actually oh, played John. seven days oh, in Los Angeles, so off. could still be eligible for live oh, oh, come on. Get off the stage. <laughs> on, production crew, Academy, help. <laughs> And that's all for today's episode of Nerdfest. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, do check us out on social media. We put various news and musing up there on Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And if you like the episode and think others would enjoy it too, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. And as always, John has the best ever prize for people who do that. Yes, I'm going to give you a special treat. I'm going to invite you round to my house. There's going to be scented candles. There's going to be a glass of champagne. There's going to be bubbles. And then there's going to be the disturbing realisation that you're lying in something exactly the shape of me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, no. Until next time, you've been listening to... A man who wonders who'll win in a fight, Donald Duck or Daffy. The actual inventor of superglue. <laughs> a man who doesn't expect to win an Oscar for 20 years. <laughs> Blade, motherfucker. <laughs> Wasn't that the sequel to Blade Runner? Yes. (laughs) And a woman who's not particularly young anymore, but hopefully is still promising. What are you promising? Um, (laughs) To have a happy ending? Oh, wait. (laughs) I know better than to laugh at that. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I'm Ryan the Annoying Ghost. (laughs) Was that Ryan? (laughs) I'm coming for you, Lady Gaga, (laughs) when you least expect it. (laughs) Ah, the Ghostbuster! (laughs)